If you would rise for the reading of God's word this morning, we will be in James chapter 5. We will be in verses 16, 17, and 18. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and a half years, three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. May we be blessed by the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated this morning. I know that Pastor Joshua covered verse 16, but you kind of have to have 16, 17, and 18 smashed together. So uh, it's one of those moments you can preach both ways. I gave him the text to preach all of it. I came back to study and I said, man, I'm going to go back, not because I don't believe he covered it well, but I've got to cover it to cover what we're going to head this morning. Uh, Joshua, you did an amazing job teaching God's word to God's people. Uh, Your faithfulness to the text. Uh, for me, I was in a planetarium. Uh, they were talking about the, how billions of years old the earth was. And I was like, I cannot listen to this trash. I need the truth. So I, I uh, listened to your word to uh, us last week. And uh, at the end of it, I, I smile with great joy to know that God fills uh, his pulpit with holy, righteous men. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that you um, accepted the call to come to Palace Chapel uh, and as a pastor preacher, this is a sacred space, not because uh, there's anything special about this other than God's word. Um, we could go outside and that would be a sacred place. Wherever God's word is preached is a sacred space. And uh, to let other people share that sacred space is scary for me as a preacher pastor. Uh, but man, when guys and men that love Jesus and love his word preach it, Uh, I can't celebrate that, and I want to celebrate God's goodness to us through you this morning, uh, Brother Joshua. So thank you again for last week's word. So this is not to say he did not do his job. This is to say, hey, there's a part of this passage that has to go with the rest of the passage, and so that's my hope this morning. We're going to look at just two things this morning in this text. We're going to look at the, the power of prayer and the power of righteousness. So the power of prayer and the power of righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate math. Anyone else? Anyone like math? Oh, gosh, you people. Well, anyway, God in his goodness shows us that there's even math in the Bible. This first text is a math equation. Verse 16a is a uh, equation that there's three things that will occur. That there has to be confession plus prayer. The first is confession. So that's the the first part of the equation, plus prayer. Then the promise is this. It's like one plus one always equals two. Uh, That's like, I don't care if you come in, you're a mathematician, you can like, no, that's not how it goes down. I'm telling you, one plus one is always two. In God's word, confession plus prayer always equals healing. Now, we saw that last week from Brother Joshua. What this text is talking about primarily is when we stray away from the Lord. We'll see this again next week. So he's talking not about our physical 
well-being. He's talking about our spiritual well-being. And so what, what James is saying is that if you want to be righteous, if you want to be holy, you have to be a, conf- a confessional community. But you also have to be a prayerful community. And here's what happens in the church. One or two things aren't happening and we wonder why healing isn't happening. Well, either we're not living a confessional lifestyle with one another or we're not living a prayerful lifestyle. One of the two are not happening. If we're not seeing healing, which we would say if we're not seeing salvation, salvation meaning two things in the text, both a justification being right before God. So if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you have not been justified or you're not right before God. Therefore, we, the community, must be praying for that. The next part, though, is this. The next part of the word of salvation is your sanctification. Sanctification is the process through God's word that we become more and more like him. What God said, be holy for I am holy. If you're wondering why you are not becoming holy or righteous, it's because either A, you're not living a confessional lifestyle in the church, or your church isn't praying for you. Or, God forbid, both. And so James is saying that to us. Hey, you, you must live a confessional lifestyle if you want to be healed, and the church must pray for you. Here's what happens when there's a lack of confession. When there is a lack of confession... There is a lack of community. You see, community will always be associated with confession. Because what happens with sin? Sin does one thing. And one thing only. It isolates. It isolates you from God. It isolates you from yourself. And it isolates you from a community. That's what Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 5. You have a roaring lion waiting to devour you. What does a a lion do? It goes after the one that's alone. You've ever seen the nature show. Those lions aren't like, hey, let's go after the whole pack. They look for the one that's weak, the one that's sick. And then they go and what? Devour him. I wonder if you feel like you're being devoured by the enemy. Are you living a confessional lifestyle? Are you living in utter isolation? If you don't want to live in isolation, you must live in confession. Now, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to take this mic and put it up here and you come and start confessing all your sins to us so that you don't live in isolation. Here's the deal. If it's done that affects the whole community, we make confession with the whole community. But if the sin is done with a peer or someone in the church, You go one-on-one with the person, and you bring that confession to them. So to the level of the sin within regards to the effect of the community is how you bring confession. So many people think, I just need to go get a billboard and put all my, plaster all my sins up there. That's not what God's word is teaching. But we must, what God's word's teaching is this. We must live in confession so that we don't live in isolation you got to ask yourself this question in the text. What does the word confession mean? If God calls us to live in confession, what does it mean? The word confession in the Greek means simply this. It means to have or to agree with the one 
that set the standard. So it's coming into an agreement with the one that set the standard. So my first thing to you, my first thing to me is, am I in agreement with what God's word says is sin and isn't sin? See, because if, if I just make an agreement with the world, the world and their confession is way different than God's word. And so what James is saying is, do you have an agreement? Do you agree with what God's word says is sin? It's pretty black and white. There's not much gray in God's word when it comes to sin. Sin is simply this. It's missing the mark. That's what it means. What is the mark? The mark is holiness. So you go through God's word, and God's word is going to make it real clear what holiness is and what holiness isn't. But do you, do I, do we as a church, do we live in confession or in, into agreement with God's word? Which means this, you got to know God's word. If you're going to live in confession, you got to know what you're confessing, which means you got to know, know God's word. My fear is this, we don't really know God's word. Like there's a lot of things that people say that are God's word, and you're like, I don't think that's what it says. So do you live with that place of confession? So do I live with an agreement? And then it says this, the next half of this verse, this is where the power comes from, is through prayer. Prayer means I'm making a vow to God. So I'm making a vow to God on your behalf is what the text says. So are we making confession and a vow to God so that we will see healing? Again, my question to you, my question to me, as I evaluate the church here at Powell's Chapel, are we a confessional praying community? And do we see the power of prayer? And here's what happens. Here's where it all comes down to. This is where the linchpin of it all goes. Because you can have confession and you can have prayer that leads to healing, but there's this one word that's in the text that is often missed. Let's read what it says. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Because what? The prayer of what? A righteous man. So the linchpin is not just simply confession and prayer, but the thing that makes it all stick together is that one little word, righteous. Now here's the deal. You can say, and I can say, well, I'm not righteous. I'm going to get to that at the end of the text. And then James says to us, let me, give you an, let me give you an example of a righteous man. So everyone goes to the text and they're like, he's talking about confession, he's talking about prayer, he's talking about healing, and then he throws a slider or a curveball and starts talking about Elijah. What is he doing? Like it seems out of place. But what James is saying is, I want to give you an example of what a righteous man looks like. And so he goes on, the prayer of righteousness he says in the next few verses is this so this is the power of righteousness he says he talks about elijah now elijah for the reader would have been this man they would have thought was a superhero like if you know the story of elijah you're like man that guy did some amazing things i'm just going to highlight a few elijah was a prophet from god called from god to go speak to god's people 
And really, the, the story of Elijah starts in chapter 17 of 1 Kings. And what happens is, here's the deal. The, 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 there's this wickedness all over the land. And so God chooses a man, a prophet. That's what a prophet is, a chosen spokesman for God to go say to God's people what God wants them to hear and know. And so this is what happens in the first section of his life. So they would have heard about Elijah, and they were like, that guy was a stud. This is kind of what happened in the life of Elijah. In, verse 17, in chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, God tells Elijah there will be this extreme drought. He goes and tells it to people. That doesn't come with great news, just to let you know, hey, you're not going to see rain for a long time. All your crops are going to die out. That doesn't go well in a farming community. So they hated him. But he stood the test. Then the next few verses, 17, verses 8 through 16, uh, Elijah, after he proclaims that there's going to be a drought, he gets a little bit of a tummy ache. He gets a little hungry. That's what the word says. I'm not making that up. He gets hungry after preaching God's word. I don't know if you've ever preached God's word, but that's why lunch is so important. Just telling you. So he goes, he preaches God's word. He comes out of preaching God's word to God's people, and he gets a little hungry. And then he goes to this widow who has nothing, and says to the widow, hey, I need you to make me lunch. This is, again, the Todd International Version. This is not exactly how the text says it. But the lady says, I got nothing. I don't have anything for you. And we see Elijah, he begins to pray to God. And then praying to God, all of a sudden, this lady has jars and jars and jars of flour to make him lunch. And she makes him lunch. Again, he's praying. He's praying. He sees miracles after miracles. Then in verse 17, verse, verses uh, 17 through 24, after he gets done with lunch, I don't know, maybe she spiked the dude's, her son's lunch, but he gets really sick and is about to die. He eventually does die. She's really distraught about her son dying, which you could imagine. So he comes, she comes to Elijah and says, what have you done? What is this that you've done? And she, he says to her again, this is Todd's way of interpreting the text, hey, give me a few minutes alone with him. He walks into the room, he begins to pray over this kid. The kid begins to wake up and is risen from the dead. That's a miracle. I don't know if you've ever seen someone raised from the dead. I have not, but Elijah did because he was a man of great righteousness and there's power in his prayers. Then in verse, uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 29, uh, there's this wicked king. And he goes to the wicked king and says to the wicked king, hey, bad things are about to happen to you. Now, I don't know about you, but if you go tell a king bad things are going to happen to you, oftentimes bad things happen to the one who tells the king bad things are going to happen to you. But he's confronting the king, and the king's like, that's not how it's going to go down. Elijah's like, that's exactly how it's going to go down, because that's what God's word says is how it's going to go down. And then there's this moment, this is kind of the crescendo of Elijah and his life. You know the story. There's this moment that Elijah goes and has this conversation with all the prophets of Baal up on the mountain. And they have this conversation about whose God is who, and whose God is more powerful, and whose God is real, and whose God isn't, isn't real. And the prophets of Baal say, hey, we will do this. We're going to have all this stuff on this altar, and we're going to call down fire from heaven to consume the altar. So the prophets of Baal, they get the sacrifice ready. They call down from their gods uh, to consume the fire. 
Uh, I, I see it this way. I'm not sure this is exactly how the text says, but I can see Elijah kind of laughing in the background because then he says to the prophets of Baal, literally says this is what the word says, hey, is your God out relieving himself in the bathroom? Like, is he busy doing something other than what you're asking him to do? That's what God's word says. That is not made up. I did not make that part up. He literally says, is your God relieving himself? And you're like, huh? No. He says, then why are they working? Because your prayers aren't working. And then they throw him the curveball. Then you call in your God and let's see what he does. And Elijah's like, not only are we going to call my God, we're going to dig a moat around this. We're going to put water all over it and we're going to douse it with water. So you can really tell that there's no magic in this. Then he prays to God as a righteous man. And all of a sudden there's this beam of fire that comes out of heaven and scorches it all. It's literally dust on the ground. Now, that is a righteous man. That's who they would have heard. And oftentimes we go to God's word and we look at the heroes of the Bible and think they're superhuman. But look what James says about Elijah. The next words that it says in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature just like yours. What James is saying, he's no different than any of us in this building. But oftentimes we come to God's word and we look at the heroes of the Bible and like, man, I'm not like them. I can't be like them. And James says, no, you're just like them. Now, there's this other part of the story of Elisha that shows us how we're just like him and he's just like us. Now, remember all those miracles he had just seen happen in two chapters. The next thing that we see is that the wicked queen Jezebel hears about what had happened to all of her prophets and she is livid. And she is so mad. She says, may what was done to the prophets of Baal be done to that man. Go after him and kill him. Now you would think that Elijah would be like, bring it on. I've seen God work in miracles. I've seen God use me to raise people from the dead. I've seen God use me to fill these jars full of flour. I've seen God use me to confront a king and I don't die. I've seen God pour out his holiness from heaven to scorch the earth. But look what it says in 1 Kings chapter 19. Turn there with me this morning. This is after all the miracles. It says this in verse 3. He's just a man like you and me. Then it says, and he was what? Afraid. Anyone else ever been fearful in your life? Like who would think to themselves, like, man, that guy just did all those. What would he be afraid for? Because he was human. But look what else it says after being afraid in verse 4. He ran for his life, it says in verse 3. And then it says he'd run for a day. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. 
And he sat down under a broom tree. And look at this. And he asked that he might die. He was a human. You talk about depression. You talk about anxiety. You talk about loneliness. That is where Elijah found himself after all those miracles. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. Wishing you would die. But here's the promise of God's word. Because the text goes on to say this, you are just like Elijah. But what was different about Elijah than other men? It goes back to the text. He was what a righteous man. I'm going to get to that. You got to hold that, hold that word in your head. Write that in your Bible somewhere. Highlight it, circle it, star it, whatever you got to do. Because it all hinges on righteousness. So first, he was just a mortal man. The second thing is this, though, about Elijah. He believed and prayed because he believed in God. In spite of being human, in spite of being afraid, in spite of all that, he still believed and trusted in God. What was he believing and trusting in God? Look what the text says. Remember what it said in 1 Kings chapter 17, that God had promised that there would be a drought. And then look what it says in the text. Now, it doesn't say this in 1 Kings, but we see this, that it's applied from James. It says this, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. So for three and a half years, he had heard the truth of God that it wouldn't rain. And then what did he do? He prayed every day that it wouldn't rain because he believed that God's promises would come true, but he knew he had to continue to pray that God's promises would be true. So every day for three years, he prayed it wouldn't rain, believing that God wouldn't send the rain. And so for three and a half years, he believed that. And then there's this moment that God says, hey, now it's about the rain. And you know what he does? He starts praying again that it would rain. And then all of a sudden the text tells us that the skies opened up because he believed in the promises of God. I wonder for us, church, is our prayer life so weak because we don't believe in the promises of God? I don't know about you, but this has been true in my own life. My dad, who committed suicide, did not know Jesus at all. And I prayed every day that God would save him. And there was moments of great discouragement. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. Now here's what happened at the end of the story. He never came to know Jesus. But I was believing in the promises of God that God would save him one day. Now, God is sovereign, and God chose not to do that. But God's sovereignty and what I desire often don't go to hand in hand. But how often do I want them to? And when they don't, I quit praying. So, do I believe in the promises of God? And what do I do when they don't come to fruition? I still got to believe in the promises of God. Again, I'll say this over and over and over again. This is not a way of 
bragging at all. I've been here at this church now. This I've just started my eighth year. And I promise this. I've walked this parking lot for hours by myself. Believing in the scripture that God said, I'll do a work that will blow your mind. We spent a year praying for Joshua and Ebony, his family, to get here. And there were moments, church, walking that parking lot by myself with tears on my cheeks, thinking, God, you won't fulfill your promises. There was a moment, and it happened the night, on that Wednesday night, I was going into this building with tears in my cheeks, ready to pull the plug on looking for a youth pastor. If I'm being honest, I'll be honest with you. And I thought, I'm going to go in, and this will be the last week that I'm going to continue to call our people to pray for something that God isn't doing. Either I'm not hearing from the Lord, or he's not moving, and we need to move on. But God brought me back to this passage. God, God said, just continue to pray, continue to pray. And that night, we went before the Lord. I scrapped everything I was doing that Wednesday night. I had a lesson plan. I was going to teach. I was going to preach. And then I thought to myself, this is the last time I'm praying for, for a youth pastor. You know what happened that night? At the end of the prayer service, Joshua, you sent us an email. At the, as soon as I said amen, Tracy pulled up her phone and said, you'll never believe this, but we just got an email from a guy wanting to be our youth pastor. And at that moment, I knew without a shadow of doubt, God wanted him to be our youth pastor. Why? And I'm, I'm saying this as a man. I got really discouraged. But my prayer is for you and me, when we get discouraged, we continue to pray even in our discouragement believing that God will fulfill his promises. The work that God's been doing in this church over the last six months is an answer to a lot of your prayers. God is not done with this place. But I have to ask us again, do we pray because we believe in the word of God? Therefore, do we know the word of God? The last one is this. We see that Elijah was simply a man. We see that he simply believed in God, but we also see that he was a man that prayed for a nation. Again, it doesn't say that explicitly in the text, but in the text we see that he prayed for years and years that God would send his righteousness through a drought to God's people to condemn them, to turn them to repentance. He was praying. And do we pray for our community the same way? The same way that Elijah prayed, believing from God that God wants to do a work in this community. The same way that God wanted to do a work in the people of Israel 4,000 years ago. Again, it comes back to that one word, and this is how I'm going to end the message this morning. It all hinges on this, that one little word, the prayer of a righteous person of great power. Now, you may say to yourself this morning, 
I am not righteous. And I would say to you, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Here's the promise of God from the work of the cross. That's why we took communion first, the Lord's Supper first, is to remind us it's not our righteousness, but it's his. John says this, that his righteousness has been imputed onto me. Therefore, if you're a believer this morning, you have the same righteousness as just because of not anything you've done, but because of the power of the cross that is in you. You are just as righteous if you take the word for what the word says. You are just as righteous as Christ Jesus. Think about that for a moment. God in his sovereignty, God in his kindness, God in his goodness took the righteousness of Jesus and put it onto you. Therefore, we can pray with great power because it's not our prayer of righteousness. It's Christ Jesus' power in us that we're petitioning for other people. And it's his righteousness that gives us power. So it's the prayer of power that is given to us by the righteousness of Christ. That, that is the working power that is working in us. That's what it says. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working but it's not your power. You are right in saying to yourself this morning, I've got no power. That is true. But if you're a believer this morning, you have the power of Christ Jesus that rests on you, that gives you great power as you pray. But I'd ask you this question. Do you believe first and foremost you're just a man? that needs the power of Christ Jesus on you. The second question I'd ask you is this. Do you pray because you believe in God? The third one is this. Do you pray with great power for a nation to be transformed? As a way of application, I'm going to ask you these four questions. The four questions that we see in this text this morning. Do you have a prayer life full of passion? Do you plead passionately before God? Do you pray with great belief in God's promises? Do you pray with great confession? And do you pray with others as they confess to you? As God's word says in closing, the prayer of a righteous person has great power at it as it is working. May we be a church that sees the power of prayer through Christ's righteousness on us. May I pray.